You're listening to Season 4, Episode number 11 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Dr. Byron Spradlin, President of Artists in Christian Testimony International, an organization dedicated to mobilizing ministry-hearted artists and creatives for Christ's work worldwide. We talk about the importance of the arts and kingdom expansion. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. For those of you that are tuning in to this podcast, uh, my guest today is Byron Spradlin, and I am delighted that he is here. I don't think I told you this, Byron, but I've been wanting to to have you on Strike the Match for some time. Uh, Byron is the uh, president. <laughs> he's the president. He's the CEO of Artists in Christian Testimony International, and uh, one of the reasons why I've wanted to to get him on the uh, the show is because of the topic that we're dealing with today, something that's near and dear to his heart, and that is thinking about the role of the arts, thinking about artistry in ministry and in missions. Uh, he uh, not only is the president, CEO, founder of Artists and Christian Testimony International, but he is also a musician. Uh, he's a recording artist. He has been involved in church planting. He's been involved in pastoral ministry at a multitude of, of levels. He's a graduate of Western Seminary, graduate of Liberty University Divinity School, did uh, THM studies uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, he's, he's kind of a jack of all trades. I remember uh, several years ago having breakfast with him in Nashville. And so, Byron, I'm really thankful that you're with us today. Welcome to Strike the Match. Thanks so much. It's a joy to be here. So I know that some of the listeners out there are familiar with you. They're aware of who you are and what you've done. You've been involved not only in this ministry, but you've been heavily involved in the Lausanne movement. But for those that are not familiar with you, could, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your background and your ministry? Sure. This is sort of a converging time for me in my 60s, um, but I've been involved, uh, trained by Campus Crusade, and now crew at the University of California at Davis, where I really turned up my life. Er, those were in the late 60s, uh, early um, in the sort of the Jesus music kind of thing that developed on the West Coast. Um, I was born near That's Berkeley. right. You, you were involved in a, in a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when I actually that's probably when I got a record deal back then. I don't think I could do it today, but it was light label distributed <laughs> by the word record club. But we were trying to write culturally relevant expressions that would reach um, that baby boomer culture. So I'd be go, go down to the free speech platform at UC Berkeley and <laughs> almost get uh, beaten up uh, while you share your faith. <laughs> uh, so um, early days, you know, youth ministry, youth music uh, was with the Continental Singers. Some of your listeners will probably know them for four years and became a director with them. And and that was when the Lord really pressed me that there was a need, no matter what else I did in my Christian life, to disciple people out of a music and arts background and see them worked into the fabric of, of church and missions and marketplace ministry around the world. So that was sort of the beginning of, you know, being involved with the worship movement and uh, uh, even in my local church involvement uh, as, you know, I've been a music minister, worship pastor, and then later a church planter and senior pastor, trying to see how we actually communicate the gospel and create 
Christian culture uh, in a way that relates to the communities around us, whether we're in Southern California or Southern India. Um, so that's been an interest since the very beginning. I actually never saw myself as a recording artist per se, but I saw myself as a uh, a creative kingdom servant and a creative communicator of the gospel uh, towards these ministerial things. Uh, so that's probably shaped the direction of what became artists in Christian Testimony International. Now, now um, am I uh, correct in that you do have a, have some classical training in your background as well? I do. Yeah, I took 11 years of classical training from a former soloist, pianist, uh, piano, a pianist with the Seattle Symphony. I studied uh, with the first horn in the San Francisco and Oakland symphonies and was in the Oakland Symphony Youth Orchestra in the mid-60s. And Aaron Copeland actually did a commission work for us, and so did Darius Mio. So I had that background, but then vocal stuff in high school. And then I picked up banjo and guitar when I was 13 and 14, and that was in 62 and 63, and, uh, you know, really got involved with the folk and rock area um, and was singing in groups with older guys during those mid-60s in the San Francisco Bay Area with Youth for Christ and stuff like that. Well, that, you know that's funny. I, uh, I I play guitar. Taught my taught my kids guitar, and I actually used to teach uh, at a local music store in my hometown. Played in a played in a hard rock band. So I guess one of the things that really excites me about you being here is I, I think we could spend the whole episode just just talking shop about about music and guitar. <laughs> but um, but well, I, sometimes we'll have to do that. Man, but, I know. I, mean, I know. You're a great example of. Actually, what I'd like to see, it's one thing I'm happy and want to encourage the, the super specialists. And those are the folks who maybe are up in that, you know, one tenth of one percent of the artistic virtuosity community. But there's a whole bunch of us who, you know, uh, are actually pretty good musicians and other kinds of artists and such, but who have all of these dynamics uh, and capacities given by the Lord uh, that maybe we can probe a little bit. Uh, but there is tremendous opportunity uh, in ministry for these folks if both they would let their labels stop limiting them, and if pastors, and I'm an ordained uh, pastor, uh, uh, but if, they, if pastors and church leadership would actually let their uh, labels stop limiting them as to who is an Ephesians 4.11 person and why we need these creative folks. That, you know, that that is... You're exactly right, and and I'll, I'm hoping that we can get there in our conversation. And I think part of the bridge getting there is is kind of getting a little bit of understanding of what is ACTI, and uh, unpacking that for us because I know that that's a part of seeing your vision come out with the movement of artists into the world of ministry and missions. Sure, uh, it, you know, even back in the early '70s when I really felt God told me to be discipling. Uh, musicians and other artists, it was because I, I realized two things very quickly uh, or very early. Number one was that these artistic people, and particularly artistic Christians, were some of the most powerful proclaimers and communicators of the reality that God is and that He is accessible through Christ. But the second thing I realized was that we were well received by the clergy community who are the gatekeepers and the power brokers and such. And I guess that's one reason that God told me to, to move uh, you know, on into seminary. You know, I've been to seminary four times, 
and uh, you know get the languages and get breadth and depth and tools and uh, understanding of what's going on so that I could help those who have become my colleagues understand that we're still in the early 20th century, uh, I mean, uh, uh, 21st century, still missing the boat on this. And that was sort of why artists in Christian Testimony International sort of morphed into being. It was part of my discipling of artists. I actually ran into a group that you now know is Jews for Jesus. But back then, they, they had Moish Rosen was out on the streets of Sausalito and San Rafael and San Francisco and Berkeley. And he had this, I met their five week old music evangelism team. And remember, by this time, this was 72, I had I had literally led high-powered production groups with guys from Baylor and all over the place, all over Latin America, the Caribbean and North America, uh, as a musician and a, a director of singers, and we do all this stuff. And so I had some experience. And here, this five-week-old ragtag group of uh, Jewish kids who believed in Jesus, just like you and I believe in Jesus. And they were singing, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... I'm going, good night. That's Jewish, but the gospel. And uh, they, uh, they they needed coaching, and so I offered to do that. But in the process, uh, um, uh, just because it was so new, they were controversial, and uh, the their home office back in New York City wanted to close the group down. Some Moish Rosen came he said, hey, why don't you start a ministry organization for yourself and the Liberated Wailing Wall? And I said, good night. All I need is permission and a little validation. And off I went and, uh, you know, found out how to do that, put that together. And we thought it was just going to be for me and for the wall so we could raise support and continue on like missionaries. Because I saw myself as a missionary more than I saw myself as a musician. And um and that's before the term musicianary, which is a term I like. Karen Lafferty uh, of Seeky First fame uh, put that little term together uh, a few years later. And um, uh, is sort of uh, things worked out where uh, uh, Moish left his ministry organization. And we put, when we incorporated it in 1973, we put Jews for Jesus and artists and Christian testimony together in this sort of uh, umbrella organization, went that way for eight years, and I kind of learned how to run an organization then. And then in 1981, we incorporated it on our own. But it was really a structure that would allow accountability and integrity. Now, we've got about 450 towards 500 folks now, 320 or so ministry departments or units, what we call them, and we touch 32 countries. Artists and Christian Testimony is simply a trans-local church sending board that manifests it particularly for people who don't fit the conventional or stereotype forms, and yet they are doing valid ministry just like any other minister or missionary. So you're, so you're talking about people who would, would teach preach, lead in worship, uh, do a multitude of things, whether it's in the established church context or whether it's out in the highways and hedges of lostness, uh, that would be expressing themselves through their artistry, whatever that may be, whether that's music or painting or storytelling or drama, dance, etc. That's it. All, all those areas. But we've got to, we've got to provide uh, for them uh, a 
affirmation, validation, and then envisioning them. Uh, could you give us maybe an example of t- or two of, of folks that are working among unreached people? Uh, how are they using artistry to, to share the gospel outside of the church worship gathering or church event? Sure. I just had in my home, um, I won't mention the country, but uh, the fellow who is uh, responsible actually for in uh, modern times since the late 1990s, the first uh, Christian uh, biblically based expression of music in a Eurasian, Eurasian country. Uh, and he, he went in as a church planter, but he never actually stood up front in a church. He actually did it right. And, and so that when uh, oppression came uh, later on and they had to leave the country, his church stood. Uh, uh, but others did not. Uh, his platform for going into that country was starting a uh, sound uh, recording studio. <laughs> he was a musician, and he and he also liked the traditional instruments of that region. And so they came and they set up their recording stuff, and he began meeting actually some of the best known uh, traditional. Uh, now these, I mean, it's more like in, if he were in the United States, meeting like the bluegrass, uh, you know, constituency and folk music people uh, out and about in the culture. So they weren't like, you know, preliterate. I mean, they were normal people, but they were specialists. He drew together about 15 of these musicians and he began, of course, sharing Christ with them in the process of interacting with them, learning some of these musical instruments. But his intent was to be the bearer of good news about Christ and his salvation and, and to see the, the church birth in that area. And uh, uh, sure enough, and there were a bunch of actually young uh, people, I guess it was maybe in the almost the year 2000 or so, um, or maybe a little later. And uh, in this process, over a period of time, helping on them, loving them, learning their instruments, which they thought was phenomenal, which gave him a real deep in with them, he was able to share Christ. About 15 of these people come to faith. He began discipling the the one who was clearly the leader, who at that point was a 19-year-old young man. <laughs> and, you know, they from, you know, like that age to 30. And... Um, he never, so he he wove them into a church gathering, not using preaching so much, but Bible reading and explanation in an informal way. But he was looking formally to establish a church, but he knew it wasn't going to look like, you know, First Baptist Falls Valley, Oklahoma, uh, which is where I spent a lot of my summers uh, growing up. And uh, he uh, 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 encouraged them. Uh, to begin to create, you know, communion in a way that they felt was meaningful. I mean, if you look in the Bible, there's no mandated format for communion. That is, in terms of the form, we know the functions of it, the elements of it, the purpose of it, but there's no format, you know, that you have to have deacons walking down in a three-piece suit on Sunday morning and all of that. I grew up in a nice, wonderful evangelical church. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and I thought that's how it's supposed to be done, you know. <laughs> so anyway, um, he, I don't want to make this too long, but the, interesting enough, he had real trouble getting them to express their newfound faith in Christ in their own musical forms because they thought, well, they had to look like the guys from Western Europe. 
And finally, this young girl, he kept, he finally said, I'm going to do one song. He became quite proficient in the language. And he might be even one of the best Western speakers of that language right now at this moment in history. Because he got into all of the poetic forms, which won their hearts because they saw that this guy was respecting their culture and stuff. And finally, this one young, she was thinking about this young musician, and she sort of had a dream. And she came and said, here was the tune. And it was that, that culture's kind of tune. And um, a, so he had written or created one song in what he felt was kind of their style, because they were really wrestling with, can I, is it even right to do this? And he kept saying, yes, it's right to do this. Remember, Christianity came out of a Middle Eastern Semitic context, not a Western European context. It came out much more like you guys are, you know? And, and so finally she wrote this song. And you know what, today, that song is like a Christian anthem in that part of town, in that part of the region. And often then, several years later, when the government came down on Christians because this fella had never— you know, put on a white shirt and took the role of the preaching pastor, but always did it gently behind the scenes. Actually, they built a church building. He was in this basement facility, and they built a church over his recording studio, and he handed it off to another guy, and it's still there today, and they're going on. And so when the expatriates were pressed out of the country, his church stood firm where a lot of the other churches crumbled. I uh, am from Kentucky, uh, as many of the folks listening know, and I also have uh, a liking for bluegrass. And so several years ago, I went to the uh, International Bluegrass um, Museum uh, out in um, Owensboro, Kentucky. And as I was walking through the museum touring it, I turned a corner and there was this large display about the internationalization of bluegrass music and they had a map on the uh, on the wall with pushpins in it showing all of the international bluegrass festivals that were taking place every year across the world and when you looked at that map many of those countries with lots of pushpins were countries that would be in parts of Asia, parts of Africa, uh, other parts of the world that there are large numbers of unreached people groups. And I just, just stood there amazed at that moment in time thinking about just the, the potential, uh, kind of like that brother who you mentioned earlier, to be able to tap into some local expressions, folk expressions, things that are regional styles and and introduce that to the world because the world is interested in that. What an opportunity uh, if we could connect with people on that level. Well, frankly, you know, uh, uh, I was just with um, another brother who has uh, an evangelism ministry through music in particular, literally around the world. And I'll just keep it at that right now. They are going in with bluegrass. They've been invited to China because they've got, you know, high people. Um, another friend of mine, uh, in Japan, discovered that the Japanese love black gospel music, so has created a whole church planting and church vitalizing a program through inviting unbelieving Japanese people who love singing black gospel music, will even pay 20 bucks or so a, a rehearsal. You know, one of the things that I, I love about, about 
what you're doing is is your heart, as you're sharing a little bit about your background, is your heart to mentor, coach, train, empower, encourage, encourage artists. Uh, what what I have found over the years is that many, and I, you know, I'm I'm a pastor in my background. So you know, I'm speaking as one of the tribe members. I'm not speaking against us, but but I found a lot of pastors they they either ignore the artists among them. Uh, they put them in a box where if if they're not doing something that only contributes on Sunday morning in a worship gathering, uh, there's really no place for them. Uh, what what I'm hearing you say is that there is an untapped powerhouse of kingdom potential that exists within our churches. Could could you speak maybe to the pastors about uh, maybe opening their eyes and seeing that potential that's there, that they have artists that are there every week? Sure. And you you used a metaphor that I started using in 1970. We're sitting on top of an untapped reservoir of resource, isn't it? Uh, So, yeah, and listen, I understand, because, I mean, you and I both have spent a lot of time both in the seat and probably up front in seminary classrooms and, and such. And I do know that, you know, we, we, we kind of, uh, you know, operate out of on automatic pilot out of the ways we've been taught. But I want to just challenge uh, um, the pastors and church leaders that are listening uh, to really uh, to, to realize that we just as Jesus um, went beyond the forms of his culture's religious experience, they've got to encourage gently, but straightforwardly, uh, moving beyond the conventional forms, because those forms will not last very long. Uh, I mean, instead of looking at musicians and artists as a as a competitive voice and a competitive narrative, if they could partner with these uh, folks, and they want the embrace of pastors. And they can get into venues and places that most church members will never be able to get into uh, because they're they're given a stage, they're given a platform, they're given, given uh, a gallery, a studio out of which they can, you know, proclaim. That's right. And we don't need to see that as a problem. We need to see it as part of our strategy. We need to help strategize with them. So, Byron, if if things move in the direction that you would like to see things go, uh, I, I want to be careful how we use the word success. But uh, if things were su- successful, if I could just throw that out there for just a, our sake of time, you know, what wh- what is your desire to see you know, come about in days to come when it comes to artists and what they have and with the body of Christ? We need to we need to uh, envision these people that God designed them uh, to uh, be the um, the communication specialist, the actually environment designer. I want to see more artists and musicians become clergy. And that is so uncool today, but it's absolutely needed because the clergy are the folks who set the trajectory for our ministry. They set the budgets. They give the okay or the uh, no way. Uh, sign uh, in these settings. We need more artists who understand artists to be be part of the servant leadership of the team. They need to be the church planters and and that kind of thing. Number two, we need more artists um, with the community of the church behind them out in the community of of as as community or marketplace ministers. And so 
So we need more artists in ministry, in the community. And, you know, my my daughter and son-in-law, they both danced with uh, the Los Angeles uh, uh, Opera. And um, my daughter's been on Broadway. And she was a light for the gospel in those contexts. She she traveled two and a half years on Phantom of the Opera. And, and, but she had lots of Christian community around her, not in the Phantom group. I think there were only three evangelicals in the whole thing of 100 in the this is a Broadway touring company, so if your listeners even saw her. Uh, but she had support of the church, but not many artists do. Number three, we need artists on every ministry tra- uh, planning uh, strategy group. Artists are not only performers, they're strategists. And we need to have their way that they look at the world uh, from the local church all the way up to national and international strategy. From, I mean, business has, has awakened to that reality. And so you've got lots of different people. Actually, I'm on one Baptist board because they wanted um, an artist on there to give, uh, you know, who had some experience in ministry and stuff like that. And then the, the fourth thing is we need more artistic ministry strategies. My guest today on Strike the Match uh, is Byron Spradlin, who is the president and CEO of Artists in Christian Testimony International. And I want to encourage you, if you're listening and you are an artist, uh, maybe in an informal way, uh, maybe in a a professional way, uh, if you're not connected to this group, I want you to get online and check them out and and see uh, what they're doing. Uh, You've heard this brother share, you've, uh, you've, you've experienced this passion and its interest, I want to encourage you to check out their website, actinternational.org, actinternational.org. The other thing, uh, pastors, I I do hope that you you heard what what Byron's been sharing about uh, this potential that exists within our congregations, and and for us to, yes, to use them when it comes to using their gifts and passions and talents and abilities in that worship gathering uh, for the church, for our local churches on, on Sundays or in other events that we gather, but also what's the potential? What is the opportunity? Because uh, they they have a way to be able to connect with unbelievers in other places in our towns and in our cities that, that most of us do not. So how can we encourage, affirm, empower, and support them in that direction? Byron, if someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way that they could maybe reach out to you and, and, and find you? Sure. Send me a, an email at B-Y-R-O-N at actinternational.org or go to our website. There's a way that you can get to me through there and it comes right to me. Well, it's been great having you today. Thank you so much. Welcome. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app, or at iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.